Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh Jalandun. I am a worship team lead and intern here at City Reach LA. Um, all right, we're going to be continuing our series this morning, Jesus Invented Coffee. Um, how many of you guys have been enjoying this series so far? Yeah, it's been good. This is like, this series, I, I was telling Josh, this is like Josh's brainchild. It's where like his, his passion for coffee and love for Jesus converge. And that's the series that we're in, so it's just really exciting to see um, that from the pulpit. Um, we're going to be continuing the series today. I'll be talking about uh, the aroma of the gospel. And uh, why don't we start and just open up in prayer? So bow your heads and pray with me. Father, I, I feel a little bit like David with three stones, and God, um, without you um, here, present in this moment, working, uh, this is just a waste of time, God. And so, Father, I pray that you would, uh, by your spirit, remove any distractions from our minds now, that you would clear up our thoughts. We pray that the presence of the Holy Spirit would be so palpable and tangible at this place as, as your word is proclaimed this morning. It'd be you speaking. It'd be you, God, um, speaking to each person here individually. You would give each of us a word this morning so we would walk away blessed, renewed, and we would see your gospel afresh. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 17, if you have your Bibles with you. Um, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, sinner. Just kidding. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles on the tables around here, or you can follow uh, up along on the screen. We're going to have the text up there this morning. And so go ahead and follow along with me. Second Corinthians 2, 14. But thank God who is always leading us around through Christ as if we were in a parade. He releases the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere through us. We smell like the aroma of Christ's offering to God, both to those who are being saved and to those who are on the road to destruction. We smell like a contagious dead person to those who are dying, but we smell like the fountain of life to those who are being saved. Who's qualified for this kind of ministry? We aren't like so many people who hustle the word of God to make a profit. We are speaking through Christ in the presence of God as those who are sincere and as those who are sent from God. This is the word of the Lord. And so when I was a youth pastor back in Chicago, uh, this is kind of back in the day, I uh, worked at a place called Starbucks. And I was, got some Starbucks people in the house right back there. Um, yeah, so I worked as a barista at Starbucks. Uh, my partner number is 1785614. I still remember it. Clocking in three, that's right, thank you, thank you. 
appreciate that. Um, I was fresh out of college. Uh, this was before like specialty coffee was a thing. And uh, it was a, kind of like a huge deal to me, at least, because I had this like romanticized view about uh, Starbucks. I, I was like, I've arrived at the mothership. Like this is like coffee central. And I was, I was psyched to be a barista at Starbucks. I loved like uh, learning how to make drinks. I loved learning about like the different roasts that we had. But most of all, what I really enjoyed was after leaving Starbucks, having the scent of coffee all over my clothes. I like, I just, I relished like that so much. Like, leaving Starbucks and just smelling my clothes and being like, oh yeah, that's good. I needed that coffee boost right now um, by just through smell. And I wore like a badge of honor. But I knew that what was weird is like after working there for about like a few months, uh, maybe like a month or two, um, I began to notice that the scent was no longer as strong. And I was like, I, I couldn't smell it like on my clothes anymore. I was like, what is going on? And it's actually like a thing. Um, because I know it because I studied Google before here. <laughs> and uh, they call it, uh, neurologists call this uh, olfactory fatigue or olfactory adaptation. And it's what happens when your brain is no longer uh, transmitting like this information, that you're, you're having a new smell. So your nose pick up on the smell, they have receptors, and it sends like a signal to your brain. But if you're immersed in a smell for a really long time after a while, you start to not notice it anymore. Your brain is like, that's not new information, so it starts filtering it out. Um, and that's the reason like, why you don't notice like, your own body odor sometimes. Or like the perfume that you wear, the cologne that you wear, or like what your, ho uh, your, ho your home or your car smells like. Um, it's one, like. That's olfactory fatigue. That's olfactory adaptation. And, and I, th I like that idea because I think, you know, um, a lot of us have kind of been Christians for a while. You know, like we've, most of us, I think, in this audience are, are church people. Like we grew up in the church. I'm not saying everyone here has grown up in the church. But I think some of us have been coming for, to church for a while. Some of us have grown up in the church. And I wonder, we've been so immersed in the culture of church that the gospel has totally lost its fragrance. And, and to the point that the gospel no longer has kind of like this rich potency that it used to have when we first came to faith, when we first started following Christ. Um, and I think like if you really pressed some of us, um, those of us who were here for a while, who've been walking with Christ for a while, uh, we couldn't really tell you why the gospel is called good news, right? Euangelion, translated in the Greek, good news. And we couldn't tell you why it's good news, um, maybe because we don't really know why, or maybe because we stopped believing that it is good news. And so if you can remember, uh, the apostle Paul was commissioned as a missionary, um, as one of the first missionaries. Uh, he would travel all throughout the Roman Empire, uh, city to city, region to region. Um, he would go around, plant churches, and he would preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And he would preach uh, in religious uh, centers, they were called synagogues, or he would pre preach in the public square. And when Paul talks about the gospel, 
when he talks about the gospel, Paul talks about the gospel like it's this exquisite fragrance, this kind of a resting aroma. And when Paul talks about the gospel, he speaks like, like it's this sweet-smelling fragrance that envelops Paul and his companions wherever they go. So that wherever Paul was going with his companions and wherever they, whatever city they would go into, wherever they would preach the gospel, they would get this stuff on them. And people could smell this fragrance kind of like emanating from Paul and his companions. Uh, in the ears of Paul's hearers, whenever he preached, the gospel was like this pleasing scent. And so the imagery that Paul uh, draws upon in our passage is uh, God leading him and his companions in a triumphant procession. This is like a Roman victory after a great battle. And Paul is being led in this triumphant procession with his companions. And as uh, the, the army would, be, would march in this procession, all throughout the city is this kind of big ordeal, big parade. What they would do is they would burn incense. And they would release like this incense, like these spices into the air. So this fragrance would kind of overcome the city. And it would awaken people to something that's happening. Something is happening. The victory is won. Something has happened and we are marching in victory. We are here to tell you what has happened. And Paul's like, that's like kind of how the gospel is. It kind of like sticks uh, on your clothes. It kind of like gets in your hair and gets like on your skin. So that when we leave this place, after we're done and we leave this place and we go out and, we, you know, you go to your nine to five or you're out getting uh, drinks or coffee like with a friend or you're going to a concert or you're getting an oil change or you're working out at the gym. Wherever you go, that fragrance is so, it, it, you're so immersed in it that when you leave, the gospel kind of has this arresting, aromatic effect on the people that you come into contact with. And uh, so if you look in our passage, Paul uh, first specifies this fragrance is being spread everywhere. But this specific fragrance is the aroma of Christ. So, the gospel is, is this message, right? We all know that. The gospel is this message, and it serves as an aroma to awaken people to what God has done in Jesus Christ. And God uses us, all of us here, God uses us, the church, to be this fragrant aroma, to release this fragrance in the world. And through how we proclaim the gospel and how we embody the gospel. He shows what he did in Jesus Christ and what he's continuing to do in Jesus Christ. The renewal of our world, the renewal of all things, and we're inviting people to be a part of that. That's a beautiful thing, right? That's such a beautiful thing that uh, Paul is saying, I'm evidence to this reality. I'm not just proclaiming it. I'm evidence to this reality. This thing has happened to me and my companions. And so I'm not just witnessing to it. I'm not just preaching it. I'm not just proclaiming it. It's happened in me. 
Something has happened to me. And so I become this evidence that God restores, that God heals, that God saves, that God makes new. That is a glorious vision of the gospel. That is a beautiful, compelling vision of the gospel. And I wonder sometimes, I'm like, where did that go exactly? Like, like where is that? Like, in the church, amongst Christians. Like, do we believe in that kind of a gospel? And so we live in L.A., uh, La La Land. I love that name, by the way, just because it's like, uh, aside from L.A. like being like a monster, you know, like the L.A. grind, there's this like romantic part to living in L.A. that's like full of dreams and whimsy, right? And Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. <laughs> right? Totally. And um, it's really like this enormous playground. Um, I've heard it said, this is how it's described to me, on the East Coast, people work to work. In the Midwest, people work for family. And in the West Coast, people work to play. And I think that's true. And we LA folks, Angelinos, I don't even know if I can call myself that because I'm from Chicago, but we like to spread the gospel about anything that we're doing. So whether it's like a new restaurant, like some kind of a new fad, like if it's like a new place that we visited, a new experience that we had, we like to spread like this good news to everyone. I can't tell you how many people told me to see A Quiet Place, like just in the last like week. I'm just like, I know, I'm going to see it, don't worry, you know, like it's on my radar. Um, and we like to spread like this gospel. Like we're like, you got to do it. Like you got to go to Palm Springs. Like you got to go like to Yosemite. Um, my wife is always telling me like, oh, we got we to gotta go do this. And she's like so much cooler than me. Like I'm like, if it was me, I'd be like at home, like just reading a book. And Melody's like, oh, we got to go do all these things. And it's like one of the reasons why I like attracted me to her um, when we first got married, because she's so adventurous. Mel's like, Mel's kind of like Gandalf and the 12 dwarves, if you've seen like uh, The Hobbit, and they like kick like Bilbo out, like, like go have an adventure. And I'm like, I'm more like Bilbo, and I'm like, yeah, you know, like I like books, and like I like smoking my pipe, you know, and the meadows, and reading and writing, you know. Um, and when we come back from our adventures, like our family adventures, like we like to spread that good news right, to people. We're always like, yeah, you got to go. You like, you got to go to this restaurant. I'm always like talking to Mike about like restaurants we should go to. And Josh is always telling me like what coffee shops I should go to. But why is that different when it comes to our faith? Like, like why aren't we a little bit more uh, public like when it comes to our faith? Like, why is the gospel not good news? And I, I've noticed that. I've noticed that uh, whenever we're in public, we're out in the secular world, that we're not really like spreading the good news about what God has done in Jesus Christ through us, to us. Why is that? And, and I, get, I get that, you know, like the media kind of represents like Christians unfairly. It, it really does. It caricatures us. So I get like you don't want to be outed like as a Christian and you kind of have to earn people's trust. But at the same time, I'm like, why are we almost too secretive 
and too cagey when it comes to our faith. Like we're very hush-hush about it. And I think it's because the gospel has kind of lost its effect on us. Like we don't actually believe that the gospel is good news. We've been around it too much that it doesn't really have that effect. And that's a problem, right? That's a problem because we're supposed to be the main vessel, the main vehicle by which God shows the world what he has done and still doing in Jesus Christ. We're the ones who proclaim this message. We're the ones who embody this message. So what happens when we start be stop believing that the gospel is good news? And I think we need to recover this aroma of the gospel. Um, I think we need to preserve the aroma. Uh, when I worked at Starbucks, what they have was called, there was like the seal, and it was like an airlock on all the coffee beans that we had. And the seal would keep in the aroma. And I think that's something that we have to do. We need to keep in this aroma because without it, it strips the gospel of its beauty and it becomes something that's so one-dimensional. And so I think that's something that we have to do. I'm going to say that there's actually three ways, there's three unique qualities of gospel aroma that need to be preserved. They're going to be on screen. And I'm going to say that uh, these are ways in which the gospel needs to be recovered. We need to preserve that. Um, it's the present gospel. So for those of you taking uh, notes, present gospel, personal gospel, and the public gospel. Present gospel, the personal gospel, and the public gospel. So let's take that one by one. Present. Notice that in these verses, Paul is using, not the past tense, not the future tense. Paul is using the present tense, verse 15. We are the aroma of the gospel. When you smell an aroma, it's something that is present. It's something that is nearby. Paul's not just talking about something that God has done or something that God will, doing in the future, will be doing in the future. He's talking about a gospel that God is still doing, that God is doing right now. And so sometimes... Um, we talk about the gospel like it's like this distant memory, like 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and saved me 2,000 years ago. And I'm like, what? Yeah, but what's happening now? Or we like to think about the gospel in, in totally in the future, like it's this, this uh, check that we're going to cash in on the other side of the eschaton. On the other side of the eternity, like that's when we'll go to heaven. And that's the gospel, when we all go to heaven. And it's like, what is happening right now? What's happening right now in the present? So the question isn't, has Jesus saved you or are you saved? The question is, especially to us who have been walking with Christ for a while, is Christ still saving you? Is he still saving you? Is this still the gospel that saves? What does it mean in your life right now? Just this past week. What did the gospel mean to you this past week? The aroma of the gospel is not something that's stuck in the past. It's not something that is always looking expectantly towards the future, even though it does include that. 
the aroma of the gospel tells us that God is doing something right now. The kingdom is in breaking right now. It's what Christ says over and over again in the gospels. Is that the kingdom is near. It's happening right now. And we Christians are the first fruits. We're evidence of this. Of the now. Of what God is doing now. That's a beautiful thing. But when it doesn't become a gospel that is present, and it becomes a gospel that is either past or future, not something that God's doing right now, then why would it be compelling? Why would, it, why would we stay? So that's the, the present gospel. The second is uh, the personal gospel. And uh, I hesitate to use this term a little bit because it makes it feel like, oh, the, the personal gospel is like it's all about me, you know, I, and I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that it's just for you, even though it is for you. Um, I believe the gospel is for all of us, the body of believers, the church. But I believe that it touches down on us, each of us here, in a very specific and a very unique way. And so uh, sometimes what we like to do here at City Reach is we would give testimonies here up front. And the testimonies are us proclaiming a witness to what God is doing in our lives. Like, this is how the gospel is real for me. This is what the gospel means to me. Do you, are you tracking with me here? It's like, it's not, it's not something that, you know, your parents have, have instilled in you. It's not something that the church leaders uh, have uh, taught you. It's not something that you believe with all your believies. Like, it's, it's something that is real for you, specifically for you. And so there's this scene um, in Walk the Line. I love this scene. Uh, it's uh, the biopic of Johnny Cash, where Johnny Cash is playing uh, for the recording producer of Sun Records. And... Uh, Johnny Cash and his band open with a gospel song and uh, they're immediately shut down by this record producer and Johnny Cash is like, whoa, 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 like, what's up with that? Like, why, like, we played really well, like, what's wrong? And uh, this is what the owner, the recording producer says, he's like, the reason why I shut you down is because we've heard that song. We've heard that song already a hundred times. Just like that, just like how you sang it. And if you were hit by a truck and you were lying out by a gutter, dying, and you had time to just sing one song, just one song, would you sing something different, something real, something that you felt? How is the gospel real in your life? so that it will move you and move other people who witness that in your life or hear about it in your life. How is it real? Oh, when I first got married, um, I believed with all my heart that I loved my wife. And I, I still believe that, that that was true. I did, because I had like these, like these feelings that were so powerful, so palpable. But like hindsight, like looking back, I don't know how deep that love really was. Because there's something about marriage that activates real love. When it no longer becomes dependent on the moment or the thrills or the emotions or the feelings. But there's something in it that becomes real because you're continually 
choosing to do it. You choose. You choose to love. And when you choose to love, that love grows and it becomes real in ways that you can't even imagine. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been in a relationship or you've been, um, or if you've been married for a while, some of you know what I'm talking about. It becomes real in a different way. It becomes so real so that when you say like, yeah, I love uh, my wife or I love my husband, like you're saying like something that is real that has taken a deep root in your life. It's not something that's abstract. It's something that's real. And I think the gospel is like that. It's like after we walk, and we've been walking with God for a long time, it's no longer dependent on like, like these highs that you get. When you first like became a Christian, you're like, man, I'm going like to follow Jesus like to whatever end. It, it becomes real because you continually make this choice and you're like, Jesus is worth it and I know why he's worth it because I continue to choose and I continue to follow him even when it's difficult. That's real. That's tangible. Like, that's compelling. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, like, if we can't um, talk about how the gospel is real in our lives, there's no way that we can give it to other people. Like, if it's not real in your life and my life, there's no way we can give it to other people because we're not really talking about something that we're experiencing, something that is happening to us. We're talking about something that's abstract. When you strip away all the romanticized trappings, can your gospel be boiled down to a coffee cup, mantra, something on a t-shirt? Or is it deeper than that? Third, uh, the gospel is public. It's a public gospel. So the gospel is like a diamond, okay? So imagine a diamond, and you're holding up the diamond to the light. When I spin the diamond, the light reflects and reflects in such a way where I can see every single cut. And I see different facets to this diamond. And what that means is that the gospel has the power to speak into every single cultural context. Every person who hears it. And so the question is, um, isn't just how is the gospel present in my life or how is it real in my life now, but how is it good news for everyone, right? So when uh, the angel proclaimed Christ's birth, good news of great joy for all peoples, peoples of every tongue, tribe, and nation. And you're like, uh, Josh, like, that's, you're like, you're just trying to accommodate, like, the gospel to culture. no. That's not what Paul is doing. Paul knows that the gospel is offensive. Like, the center of our faith is, is to be crude, it's a naked, uh, bleeding man hung on a cross. And Paul, that's the gospel that Paul is presenting. And Paul's saying that, like, despite its offensiveness, it isn't devoid of its beauty. It's not devoid of its glory. It's not devoid of its goodness. And you're going to say to me, well, look at the text. The reason why it's not the gospel to everyone is because we smell like dead people. To people who are perishing, to people on the road to destruction. That's the reason why. And so uh, that kind of settles it. Most of us believe 
really strongly in that first part of, of the text. We're like, yeah, so there you go. Jesus said it. We're just martyrs and we're going to be persecuted by the world. The world hates us. There you go. But do we believe in the last part of that text? The second part of the text where it says the gospel is the fragrance of life. The CEB translated, a fountain of life. So the imagery that we're getting here is uh, an emphasis on an overflowing life. It's like life that is gushing forth. So it's not just for me and you. It's for everyone. It's for all peoples. People from every single walk of life. And if it isn't that, if it's not the gospel to everyone, is it really the gospel? Also, something that's really interesting about the passage, too, is that uh, Paul's actually talking to Christians here. So his main audience is Christians. Um, the, the background behind this, this passage is that Paul's under attack by this group of teachers called the Super Apostles, like in the Church of Corinth. That's a church that Paul helped found. And he's being under attack. So his, his apostleship is under attack. His credibility as a teacher, as a pastor is under attack. His gospel is under attack. And so when Paul says the rejection of my gospel is like the smell of death to some people, you better believe he's talking about Christians. He's not just talking or so-called Christians. And the, the idea there is like we don't know who's going to be saved. We don't know, and we, we like to think that we do. We like, as Christians, we like to assign, you know, eternal destiny to people, but we don't know, and the, the scriptures don't really tell us that we will have this knowledge of who will be saved. All the more reason for us to be proclaiming the gospel all the time to all peoples everywhere, both in the church and outside the church, because it's for all people. That's the aroma of the gospel, and our mission as the church is to kind of plumb those debts. To see how does the gospel really translate to people. And so I think about my CrossFit coach. A guy I see every single week and I work out with all the time. And I think about like what does the gospel mean to him? I think about the kid that I tutor at USC who I've tutored for about three years. And I'm like, what does the gospel mean to this kid? How would it sound like good news to him? I think about, you know, the homeless guy that I pass when I walk down uh, Old Town Pasadena all the time. I pass this guy all the time. He's kind of, he has mental issues for sure. And he's always talking to himself. And sometimes he like cries uncontrollably. And I wonder like, what does the gospel mean to this guy? Because if it isn't the gospel for them, it's not the gospel. That's not the gospel for all peoples, everywhere, at all times. That's just the gospel for me, or it's just the gospel for the church. And if we want to keep this gospel, we need to make sure that we're preserving that aroma, that we recover the aroma, the rich fragrance of the gospel, and really believe it for ourselves. Um, brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that there aren't hard things to believe about Christianity. I'm not. I'm under no illusion that in what we believe, in our scriptures too, there's some really hard truths. 
But I'm saying, I'm trying to challenge us this morning to kind of recover a, a beauty and wonder in the gospel that's inherent in what we believe. Where is that? Where is that arresting aroma? I'm, I want the church like, to, to reimagine what the gospel is and what it can be. Not just for us here, but for everyone. Is the gospel like that to you? How? Is it present? Is it real? Is the gospel like that to your neighbors around you, to the people you rub shoulders with constantly, to the circles that you traffic in? Because that's the beauty of the gospel. It's so rich. It's so rich in its fragrance. It's so compelling. And we need to recover that for ourselves and for our world. Pray with me. Father God, I, I pray that by your spirit you would baptize our imagination. And you would give us, God, this beautiful vision of what your gospel is. May it become incarnate, God, in our lives. May it become real in our lives so that when people ask us and people say, why do you follow Jesus? Why do you continue to go to church and continue to give your money and your time to church? Isn't that a waste of time? We could tell them how the gospel is good news for us and how the gospel can be good news for them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Josh, thanks for that, that compelling message. It's challenging. If you were listening, it was challenging, right? <laughs> it's good. It's a good word. Um, I want to invite Sean Bell and Amber up for, to be able to pray for people if they need during this time. We're going to go into a time of response to God in worship through song. Um, and I just want to challenge you to, to think about where you're at. Where's your heart? What God is, what is God doing in your life right now? Because essentially Christianity is just saying yes to Jesus over and over and over and over again. So what's he speaking to your heart right now regarding his gospel? The good news that he redeems life, that he breathes life into dying things. Is that for yourself right now? Is it for someone else in your life right now? Um, and maybe you need to come to somebody for prayer this morning and ask them to join with you in something that's challenging you and breaking you, um, grieving you. Maybe you want to come and, and, pray, and pray with someone over someone else in your life. Maybe God is doing something in your heart and you just need to respond to that in your, in your seat right now. Maybe you just need this song sung over you. We just want to create space and freedom for, for you to respond to what Jesus is doing in your heart right now. So God, we give you our hearts again. We say yes to your work in us. We say yes to your work through us. We pray that the gospel power, the good news, would descend on us even now in this room, that you would unite us as one. God, and that you'd give us courage to respond to whatever it is that you're doing in our hearts. I pray that you'd give us ears to hear what it is that you're doing in us right now and the courage to respond to that appropriately. We ask this in faith in your name, Jesus.